contact cannabis. Hello, folks. This is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. The Old Hemp Farmer, and I'm with Mark Stepp, Ava Avila, Abby McCullough, and back for a return visit, Brad Crafton. How you doing, Brad? Doing excellent, Jarbo. How about yourself? As well as a man my age can expect to be. The reason we got you back is all the recent developments that have happened in cannabis. You were working in cannabis in Canada, and you came back and were doing some things in Colorado. The, one of the re main reasons you're back is because of the elections. We, since you were on, we've had elections that were in November where we had four rec states that legalized. And for the first time in the Deep South, we had a medical marijuana state uh, voted in, Mississippi. Oh, one of the things I'd love for you to do is uh, supposedly because you're on the last podcast, somehow people got a hold of you that were wanting to get into medical marijuana in Mississippi. They did. They did. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a very typical uh, uh, interaction for people who are wanting to get into this and what they initially think going into it, they end up having to pivot. Uh, they ended up having a, a challenge with their investor, wasn't able to um, perform, not because he could not, uh, did not have the capital, but because he was advised not to invest uh, as heavily as they were thinking about investing. You know, so it's kind of, to me, an indicator of we might be going past the time period of the big, huge mega growth really being the cool thing to do um you know i think people are maybe starting to realize you know it's the people need people because what they reached out to me about after hearing on the podcast is like hey you're from mississippi we need somebody who knows about this industry to come in Let, let's make a deal you know let's do something it, it's a real tough thing you know to where you look at like if you're some people who are trying to get into this and don't know anything you need an investor now the investor says you need a cannabis specialist. Then you call up a cannabis specialist and he says, oh man, yeah, you're going to need all these different people. They're going to have to have these skills. You're going to have to have this specialty equipment. You're going to have to have the specialty general contractor, the specialty low voltage electrician. I mean, and the list goes on and on. I don't want to make this a boring podcast. It literally could fill the whole hour. That's what you know, you're looking at it, it's like, man, it's a lot to get into this. And the crucial element there is knowledge and expertise. I mean, people have to know how to do this stuff. It's not easy. It's not at all easy. It is quite complex and multivariant, you know. Uh, so the complexity stacks upon the complexity when you get into really running these businesses in a compliant, legal way, growing them, making it something you can work on and grow and not constantly be trapped working in it. They contact me because of the Full Contact Cannabis podcast. All right. So now this is all supposed to be take effect by July 1st. Well, not quite. Not quite. Um, there's, I can't remember if it's July 1st, July 15th, right around that time, that's when rules will come out and the pathway to get the license. And as it, Amendment, six, or, uh, yeah, Amendment 65 reads, it's August 15th would be the day you could plant your plant. 
seeds in the ground, so to speak. The reason I'm saying this is that um, some states have had a fairly seamless rollout of their medical marijuana, and then other states, when they tried to roll out medical marijuana, was a minefield. And it wasn't as much for the logistics, which was, you know, major, especially if you started, but it was the fact that they were beset by people suing each other or suing the, the state because they didn't get a license. How smooth do you think this rollout of medical marijuana in Mississippi is going to be? It's relative to the the rollout of any medical marijuana program. Uh, like you're saying, they all are bumpy and unfamiliar. There's a whole bunch of people playing the three blind man and the elephant, you know. Fortunately, when you really look at Amendment 65, and the good part is that this isn't a you know, it's actually amendment to the Mississippi Constitution. So as soon as, and 74% of the people voted for it and passed it. And when you look across the state, I, I don't believe there's any uh, county or municipality that did not vote in a majority as well. It's just how big is the majority. The law itself is pretty or not law, rather amendment to the Constitution. It is now your constitutional right to have medical cannabis. And it is innately a free market system that has language that opens up the caregiver model and has no restrictions on licensure. In preparing for this, you know, I was fortunate enough to dialogue with Joel Baumgard, the uh, gentleman, uh, the state rep that worked with, I can't remember the gentleman's name, that actually wrote, uh, Amendment 65, but uh, I got to speak to him back uh, probably 18, 19 months ago. They were getting all of this going, and he was saying, hey, look, there's, there's going to be a free market. There's not going to be a limit. I was completely floored. I thought there's no way that was going to pass, even up till Election Day. I was talking to you, Jarbo, just a couple of days before. I was like, I, I can't believe they're actually putting this to the ballot still, and it did, and it passed by overwhelming majority. You know, the legislature um, doesn't really have a pathway to block this because all of the responsibility goes to the Board of Health. There could be some gaming fiscally, you know, there always can be that, you know, a legislature can mess with any department's budget. But, you know, it's a constitutional right of a Mississippian right now uh, that to look forward to August 15th. They can go and get that prescription. And there's even language that insulates from any zoning type situation in there and that uh you know mississippi doesn't have much zoning anyway there's also language to preclude that so there's no end game of municipalities keeping it out and as of the recording of this podcast the good mayor of uh madison is the only one opposing with the lawsuit that you know looks like it's you know, something to take note of as far as my research. And, you know, her constituency voted in an overwhelming majority. I mean, it was like north of 65% for this. So, you know, it's just kind of like a not in my backyard situation. And then this is the same municipality and the same individual elected official that also blocked Walmart because they were concerned there was a possibility of you know, people coming over from adjacent towns and they wanted their town the way they wanted their town. So it's kind of par for the course. You know, that's not going to get much traction as far as 
impeding a overall rollout across the state of Mississippi. Okay, then. Doesn't that make it even doubly kind of scary about jumping into the market? Because one of the things that, you know, I think, if memory serves me correctly, that they kind of modeled this on the Oklahoma state law, Brad? Kind of, yeah. Uh, when you actually dig into the amendment, to me, it reads uh, like Oklahoma with uh, just a little bit of the open market nature of Las Vegas with uh, all of the, um, or Nevada rather, I, I, when I worked there, I worked in Las Vegas, but Nevada kind of took the Washington legislation model and made it more business friendly. It seems like Mississippi kind of took, uh, they drew a little bit from the well that started with Washington and rolled into Nevada, very much said, we're going to make the Oklahoma law, but a little bit more refined and better. Because I see this as every state comes online, they're all getting pretty sophisticated about uh, researching uh, what other states have done and how it's performed. And, you know, why I think there's that little bit of a Nevada connection there is because, you know, the state of Mississippi did pretty well with the rollout of gaming and same as well. So modeling that, that privilege license type uh, regulation. So, yes, it was very much like a Oklahoma 2.0, but with the benefit of it being a constitutional amendment like um, I'm currently enjoying here in the state of Colorado. Colorado, it's a constitutional amendment. So I think it's a much improved version of the Oklahoma law. And I'm sure the next states that come after that choose to model this will improve on it further. Doesn't that present uh, medical marijuana in Mississippi being like the wild, wild west? You are dead on right. Um, I foresee it, everybody I talk to down to an individual, every one of them is interested in two things growing a massive amount of flour and uh, controlling uh, real estate for dispensaries for access to the market. How many people, I, I'm sorry, you're from there. Your dear sweet mom lives in Oxford. I'm shout out to do. Um, so how much uh, marijuana can Mississippi support? Not as much as about to be grown. It's, I, I love the fact that some things never change and the fact that there'll be great demand the first couple months till people can get it together and then the pro prices will drop like a, a weight. Yep. So just, just so I'm clear, there's not a limit to the amount of licenses they're going to be giving in Mississippi? They're, they're not. Now, the rules and regs have not come out. However, due to the nature of what was passed being a constitutional amendment immediately going into the constitution and that the language in the bill is specific to a free market not limited a uh, number of licenses it would be unconstitutional for there to be a limit on the license as we all know politicians do things that are unconstitutional from time to time no okay? Really? From time to time. So that's all I can say uh, definitively on that. I was going to say, like in Oklahoma, has more producers per capita than any other rec or bed state. They have like, what, over 2,000 uh, producers in Oklahoma alone? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, what to say to Washington, uh, uh, they initially issued 12,000 licenses. Not all of them got turned on. I mean, everybody could get three if you could pass a background check and had $5,000. Oh, my God. I'm curious, like, how wild, wild west do you guys seeing it be? Pretty wild. What do you see it in two years? Like, what do you see the landscape being? I, I personally, what I think, I'll, I'll chime in there. By then, you're going to have that Darwinian sort of capitalism starting to weed people out. But the, what I see for happening, because it is so wide open, not only are there going to be people that are genuinely going to try to get into it, but there are going to be a huge amount of people that are going to be, you know, I hate to use the term carpetbagger, but in the South, it's appropriate. You know, cannabis carpetbaggers will come in there and, you know, basically look at your house and your pickup and then tell you how much money you need to get into the cannabis business. And that's what I, the big thing I think is, is because there's going to be, well, like this, you know, started out, you know, I mean, the whole point is that somebody looking for somebody who knows what they, they can do. Well, at this point, really experienced, established people, they're kind of been sucked out of the system. So what you have is that people can't make it. You know, I couldn't make it in Oklahoma. I'll head to Mississippi. I wonder how it will affect, um, like, Georgia in the future, too. What if they're going to keep an eye on it, loosen their laws? Georgia's a hard case. Yeah, exactly. Georgia is a hard case. <laughs> All right. I think, I think that you're dead on right, Jarbo. And I, I think that what – because I saw, I saw it when I was in Humboldt County – that when Colorado legalized, that all of the people that were like within half inch of getting run out of town with pitchforks, all decided to move to Colorado to greener pastures and bring their wonderful California expertise to Colorado. And that was why after a while I said, well, I think I'll go to Washington, you know, and I went up to Washington and got into the legal rec market, but I think you're right. The term cannabis carpetbagger is apt, especially given, uh, you know, what we're looking at here because, you know, I talk to people and I'm not going to name any names, but they say, oh, I talked to this group. I talked to this person. It's the people that can't get work anywhere else. Well, that's wonderful. So, so, <laughs> all right. You've been approached by people to come into Mississippi. Brad, I'll just put you on the spot. Are you going to move to Mississippi? It's yet to be determined, actually. I, I sat down and I talked to the boss, and she gave me clearance that it would be on the possibility spectrum to relocate back for a period of time, not a short period, but not an extremely long period either, <laughs> if I come up with a good business plan. And so, yeah, it's a possibility, but I got to get executive approval from the boss lady at home and give her the presentation over the kitchen table and that whole thing. The boss is a true politician. <laughs> well, all right. So you're at this point. So are you act, are you actively advising a group in Mississippi? No, I'm not. So the people you talked to earlier, the money fell through. And so now they're all trying to recoup. What I advised them is they wanted retail and a grow house and uh, what, you know, a great bunch of guys, they'll do uh, astonishingly well in retail. 
um, because you know nobody's really going to know anything, you know. And as uh, as far as selling the product, you're not going to get a whole lot of sophisticated questions. And these guys were already well down the path of research, so I advised them to just pursue retail. They had excellent funding for that. They're going. They've got a real good pathway to raise more. And there's a possibility of uh, an engagement in the future with them. But right now, I'm just helping them out as friends and giving them some advice and guidance because they are a great uh, couple of guys. I was like, it's just at this point, it doesn't make sense for me to engage on a professional level because I've always been like, I'm like BASF or 3M. I don't make the products you buy. I make the products you buy better, you know, and you know, I'll I'll get involved with formulation and packaging and stuff to help bring uh, a brand vision to life. If I have somebody to work with that's good at it, you know, like Jarbo with the backup of all the other people on this call, building Tennessee Homegrown. Right now, I'm in my car bouncing back between two grow houses here in Denver. I just went, I've gone back to the well. I looked around and I said, what I want to do is I want to grow a lot of cannabis. I just want to run it. I want to be in charge and I want to work for uh, somebody who owns their company, uh, owns a real estate, got a stable business. They just want to grow it. And uh, I looked around Colorado, found the outfit that had been in business 11 years and I'm their director of cultivation right now. And I am, I'm talking about, you know, 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. riding around the metro area grinding hard just growing bulk cannabis and delivering it to the stores and the lab getting it trimmed hung dried pheno hunt researching lighting moving forward nutrient transitions optimizing irrigation I, I don't have time to reach over into retail too unless I'm going to do what I'm doing now worse and I probably won't be good at retail because I'm not going to take a step out from what I'm doing now. So that's a long way of saying uh, that I may do some something with those guys or other people in the future in Mississippi, but right now I'm not working with anybody. I am just really focusing hard on watching what's going on in Mississippi, dialoguing with people. Uh, talking to them about their plans and, you know, uh, talking to my colleagues in the industry on the material supply side, the equipment side, you know, about how they're going to address supply chain logistics and things of that nature. And it, I'm not ready to jump in right now because I don't see well, that. Well, I got I to gotta call you on that. When I talked to you a few days after the election, you were seem to be much more gung-ho about this whole process than you are now. Is it just yeah, the euphoria of the election or that the more that you've, you know, dived in and, and you know, that it's, it, you're realizing that the rollout's probably going to be a little bit more extended? No, no, quite, quite. But you're quite right. And thanks for the call out, Jarbo. That makes for dang good radio. Uh, <laughs> I was gung-ho ready to go back. I'm like, we're going to go back XYZ, map it out in my head, boom, build the business, raise it up. It's either very profitable and just sit back and enjoy that profit, or you're a target for M&A by a multi-state operator. Easy. I'm about to do this. 
And then I started talking to people in Mississippi. What I realized was it's not that the rollout's going to be delayed. Basically, I think it's going to be a long time before the business I want to build is appropriate for the market. It's going to be a long time. Like here in Oklahoma, like look at Oklahoma, right? It's the best land. Right now, I got colleagues with extraction equipment sitting idle in Oklahoma because the flour is too valuable. All right. So if, if, if we're just talking about growing a whole bunch of flour, trimming it, and putting it in bags and selling it, that sounds a bit boring. You know, it really does to me. And I think the rollout's going to be expeditious. And, but I think that it's going to take a while to get to a market maturity that's going to have the enough uh, predictable desire for consumer packaged goods as opposed to smokable flour to give me a level of excitement that goes beyond the sugar high of an election and actually sustains my passion and keeps the fire in the belly lit. So basically, you're too, you're too cool for school at this point when it comes to Mississippi. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. All right. Well, well, let's go down that because part of this is, is, is that now it's open. Now people are starting to aware. Okay. Let's say uh, Abby, for, you know, who's young and been working with Tennessee Homegrown, decides, oh, my God, Mississippi. It's going to be wide open. So what, what would you suggest to people who decide, okay, I want to get into the Mississippi marijuana? I mean, is it something that you would advise most people to step back or is this the time to get in and kick ass? It depends on the type of person you are, really, because what I've seen is like I'm, I'm doing an interview today for a cultivator, you know, and I, I do a lot of um, hiring and firing. Uh, so I see a lot of the people that come in this. It takes a certain sort of person to really um, hold on in this industry. And Jarbo, I'm going to quote you from the other day. It's a lifestyle. It's not a job. It's not an investment. You need to go ahead, make a list of everything you say you're not going to do for cannabis. Like, I'm, I'm never going to miss dinner with my kids. I'm always going to drop them off at school. I'm never going to live in an RV beside a metal building for five days because something happened. You know, like running your grow from an RV park beside it, you know, rearranging personal asset structure to cover your business uh, for equipment and consumable supply needs. This is all in. Um, so, okay, we know it's going to be terribly hard. We know it's going to take, uh, like I said, many are called, few are chosen. But do you, uh, you want to go into some of the, maybe the politics of all this and how you think it's going to go out? Because one of the things I'm very curious about, is I think Mississippi has the highest rate of black population of any state in the union. I, I think, how do you... Is this going to be one of the few markets that's going to be integrated, or is this going to be like most of them? It's going to be a white good old boy seen in Mississippi. The, now, I think that what we need to do is delineate the production of it and the retail space, because I could see two different scenarios where, you know, it's more 
a, a white control type thing or that due to the free market and open access, I mean, this is literally like opening a barber shop. So it's so much more less politicized. Uh, I think it's going to look like that. I think that what you're going to see is it's going to look like the rest of whatever society it is in with that law in Mississippi. Now, because we don't have um, politics involved with the access to license, because literally you just get, it's like opening a barber shop, you know, and in Mississippi, land is cheap. Metal buildings are very cheap. Power's cheap. Water's cheap. Okay. So this is really a democratized endeavor. So what I predict is it's going to be a true manifestation of the current state of Mississippi's social integration, which I couldn't really speak to because I left years and years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm really more Western than I am Southern at this, this point, you know, um, I'm a Westerner, you know, and so to me, when I look at it, I think it's really just however the politics and the racial integrations play out, it will merely be uh, a very nice snapshot in time of the current state of Mississippi. Well, the reason I'm saying that is that we got Tennessee Homegrown got approached by a group of individual uh, black ladies from Mississippi who are wanting to do basically a version of Tennessee homegrown. They want to, they want to call Mississippi homegrown. Is their biggest, besides the technological things, is their biggest hurdles going to be financing or is it going to be just being able to navigate the bureaucracy that's probably going to exist trying to get a license and get up? No, the bureaucracy and trying to get a license, that's just not going to be in play, really. I mean, it, it all depends on what you want to do and where you want to do it. Um, there can be financing challenges, like let's say if you want to be in that super prime real estate in a place that has a, a, a certain population density or a cross street of two highways, like where you'd see a McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need some financing for that. But if you're looking to start something a little bit smaller, that's going to be a uh, like Tennessee homegrown that is marketed uh, through social media and things of that nature, the way that Jarbo and Abby and everybody else do and get a podcast. No, you're not. Your biggest need is skill and intelligence because, I mean, right now I could go spend $500 at the garden center and put up a hoop house with some shade cloth and then go spend, you know, about a grand at the hydro store, and take some seeds out of my back catalog and grow about two, three months worth of cannabis uh, for one small little store out of that. So let's build a few of them. Now we just spent 16 grand, you know, and you do it all yourself, work your fingers to the bone and get it all hung up and do it and stage it and have it planned out right. Okay. okay. And you, yeah. The reason I'm mentioning this is you've been a cannabis professional for going on a couple decades, right? Yeah. Okay. It's still basically 90 some percent of the people in the cannabis industry are white. 
And now, is this a unique opportunity for African Americans to actually get a, a toehold in the cannabis industry? Uh, correct. I mean, for the, the way the state of Mississippi wrote this, I mean, uh, this is the perfect opportunity for anyone to get in on the cannabis industry, full stop. Anyone that has felt they were disenfranchised, anybody who thought they were missing the boat, Mississippi has said, hey, y'all, come on down, okay? And people are going to come. So it would be my preference to attract the good people that are a part of the Tennessee homegrown network than the carpetbaggers you were alluding to earlier, Jarbo. When do you think the market will be mature enough to be able to say, Brad Crafton, come on down? When it's economical to extract. <laughs> okay. But that's what I'm saying is, is, but I mean, it's just this point. You have the luxury, right? You have a, you are a full-time cannabis professional. And, and for somebody who's wanted to try to, to get into this, then it's an attractive endeavor, but for somebody's established, it's still a market that you'd stay away from. Currently, um, you know, if, if you're looking at this like a market and a motley fool thing, I'm not advising to buy. I'm holding. Right now, if I got to make a bet, I'm going to bet against everybody. If I could short the market, I'd short it. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great quote because... It, it is sort of, I think, one of the things that people have to understand that when you get into a market and it is a pioneer market, that being a pioneer is not always kind. Ava, you've been sort of uh, silent and you're a cannabis professional. You got any insights or questions for Mr. Brad? Um, not, not too many. Uh, I was interested more in his, in his prediction and he kind of he kind of ran us through that and I, I kind of agree with them and just looking at how Michigan, just thinking about how that played out and the, the series of events, whether they be fortunate or unfortunate, um, I think it's going to end up doing pretty good down there in Mississippi. And I mean, as long as, as long as they know what they're doing and as long as they're <laughs> listening or have a mentor in cannabis, that's really the biggest thing you need to get. Um, for anybody who's starting out, obviously, but especially in Mississippi, you need to find people who know the seeds that grow there, the seeds that don't grow well there, and, you know, there's a whole long laundry list. But, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy to be here and be on the call and just listen and clicking in your guys' information because you guys have much more knowledge than what I have, so. Well, one of the interesting things, though, is it's it, we're still now like in an infant industry, and it's going to be like marketing and these things. Which yeah. I, I, the whole thing of it is, is that we have a place that has no real history of medical marijuana, all of a sudden getting the, the proverbial light switch flipped on. Yeah. And, and it's kind of curious to see how people are going to respond. And, and I'm sorry, Brad, that I put you on the spot about that, but about, you know, now starting to slow your roll when it comes to moving to Mississippi. The whole idea, though, is the point is, how do these, I mean, seriously, there's how many thousands of people you think there are in Mississippi who, after that election, woke up and said, I'm going to do this. 
And now to the point where, what if they don't find their guy? They do it anyway. They'll, the, somebody will sell them an online software package, man. The, the quality of the knowledge will get diluted from, hey, we need that guy we heard on the podcast, uh, scouring Indeed, Indeed ads in Seattle, Denver, Las Vegas, paying people to relocate. When all that runs out, there'll be somebody with an internet website where they'll sell you an online webinar that's everything you need to know so you too can run a big mega grow house. Just swipe your Amex card and keep it on file for the monthly renewal. They'll hit your email box. They're, they're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. 100%. It's already, <laughs> they're already out there. I mean, you can go to Oaksterdam online now. And I went to Oaksterdam years ago. And I mean, there's there, the knowledge is out there. It's just, it's just about applying it. A lot of people will, will buy these courses, buy this knowledge, and they don't really apply everything. Or they think that they want to, you know, they want to they want to redo the the, the how-to on the souffle. Everyone wants to add their own ingredients in there, put their own spin on it, thinking that it's going to be something magical. And it's just you got to got if you got to learn the basics. If you don't know the basics, you're not going to learn the advanced. You're not going to understand a lot of it. So it's just about applying knowledge. So basically, hold on, Jarbo. Uh, Ava just hit something I have got to mention. I need to put a warning out there to everyone because you hit on that. They, the knowledge is out there. They didn't apply it right. Okay. This is something everybody, everybody have, out have, there. I'm sorry. You got some, Mark? Yeah, I have some magic beans in California. <laughs> if anyone needs them, they're for sale. Yes. Hold it, wait. And I have Thor's magic hammer. It's in this box. If you just give me, you know, whatever, you know, you can have Thor's magic hammer. And this is what I wanted to get at. Any of y'all getting in to do this, I want to beg you. Cannabis is profitable when done right. Just build a cannabis business and do it right. As a consultant doing turnaround jobs and working to help people turn around distressed assets, of almost every one of my clients, the reason they did was they, they researched, somebody told them what they needed to do to grow. Then they decided that since they were so smart from XYZ thing they've done before in their life, and this is just cannabis, they're going to add their secret sauce into something that somebody else told them or showed them that they'd never done before, much less done with repetition to understand how to iterate or improve. And they're going to force it in. And they're going to sit back and be like, yeah, I downloaded that course, but you know, they just said I was going to yield X. And then I got this email from this guy who said he's got these magic beans that grow 30% faster. So I bought them. And then I bought this widget that's going to get me 30% more yield. And then I bought this and I bought this and I bought this and I bought this and I'm going to put it all together and I've never run any of it. And I'm going to yield 300% more than X because I've just bought all this stuff that I don't understand or don't know what it is. And then I paid a contractor who didn't understand it and didn't know what it was to hook it up. And when they went to configure it, I said, Oh, so it's all in factory default settings and not even configured and the plants are dying. So 
it's interesting. A lot, of, a lot of these farmers, like the last, the last people that I mentored um, in in cannabis, I <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, but they weren't ready to to put in the every day. They kind of wanted just to do three hours a day, head to the farm, check on things. And I mean, he was he was like you know twice my age, but um, he he had to relearn and unlearn. I had to teach him the basics of this is what, this is how this is supposed to go. This is why you need a vapor barrier. This is how, you know, so this is how much CO2 these plants need. And you, you, you have to pay attention to them. They'll tell you, the plants tell you exactly what they need if you just pay attention and listen and know what you're looking for. And I had him read two books um, on, on all of this before I would even start. Cause if he wasn't willing to, to read the books and put in the time and the effort then I wasn't going to mentor him. And, you know, we did everything by the book for the first, you know, how first, however many weeks. And, you know, we were out there with shoveling compost, you know, it smells like crap because it is crap, there's crap in there <laughs> and uh, starts raining and, and, you know, they wanted to head inside and they just stood in there and I, I was still, I was still going and I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, this shows a drain and we can't stop. You guys have a deadline. Like this is, this is how this works. We don't wait for the weather to clear up. If you want your, if you want to have a good girl, you have to put in the good work every single day. And you know, they were, they weren't the happiest about it, but they were very happy with how their plants turned out. And they did actually increase, you know, or over a hundred percent of yield that are actually doing it the way that I taught them and the way that you actually have to put in work every single day. And his wife was not very happy. They wanted, you know, they were more of like part-timers that thought they could do this part-time and it's kind of rude awakening. So it's not like a three hour a day thing. It's, it's a, it's a 12 hour a day thing and it gets tedious and it gets monotonous. And, and you know, this is just what it requires though. And they, they didn't really learn easily, you know, it's kind of like pulling teeth to get them to put in the effort. And that I think you're going to see in the first three years of Mississippi's, um, you know, of their cannabis journey, the first three years, it's going to drop after that, like significantly, like 50% are going to drop off because a lot of people will not be willing to put in the work. Wow. You guys, like I said, you're, you're harshing my mellow here. <laughs> it's not, it's not a bad thing because whoever perseveres, it's just putting in the work every day. If, you, if you're going to like, like success is predictable. If you're going to put in the work, you, you can create your success and you can, you, or, or, or if you, you know, it's the same on the opposite side. If you don't put in the work, you're going to create your downfall. And whoever is willing to do the work is going, is going to be the ones who are still there in three years. Can I ask you what the motivation is to get in cannabis if I'm going to have to work extremely hard every day? And smoke for free. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, you can work three years for somebody else or you can work three years for yourself and you can make the same amount of money or you can make $10,000 less working for someone else. But in reality, it, it's, it's just, if you're not willing to put in the work, I mean, the, the proof is in the puddings, look in the mirror. Three, three months from now, it's going to tell exactly what you've been doing today. Well, uh, basically what I'm getting out of this is that, you know, I'm going to have to work my ass off to be successful in cannabis. And even then, I'm not going to be sure. No, you're going you're gonna to work your ass off in, in anything that you want to you you succeed in. So it's either, it's either you want to do it or, or you don't. You can try to hire other people to put in the amount of work and effort. All right, but here comes the, the point. How many people out there want to get into cannabis because they think it's an easy way to make a good living? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> 
I, I'm serious. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, has to come into this real quick. And, you know, we got to wind this bad boy up. But what I'm getting from you is that there's going to be a lot of ignorance and greed that's going to drive the market at in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, you know, ignorance just means you, you don't know, you're unaware. You don't know what you don't know, and you can't help that. And if you don't seek out knowledge, whether it be in books or, or in a mentor or some online course or an online university for cannabis, what have you, either way, you're going to have to put in the work. So it's just, it's just time, will, time will tell, but I, I don't know. That, from the farmers, every farmer that I have helped here, down here in, in the South, they really underestimated the amount of work that had to go into it. <laughs> and so their wives were not happy. And I mean, it's just, it's just what it was. So I mean, they, were, they, were, they were all happy at the end of it when their yield was, was great and they've never had the biggest, these this big of buds or they've never had this quality or whatever, what have you. It's just, you gotta put in the work now. It's farming, it, this stuff, you're, you're planting the seed now and you have a lot of time to grow and it's just, it's in the pudding, and I don't know how under, how people think you can go from A to A to D without going B, C, and sometimes you won't even make it from B to C. The first time, you'll you'll lose some plants, or something might happen, and and then you have to start all over. Okay. It just it's just you're, you you predict your own future by putting in the work or not putting in the work, and it's it's pretty black or white. It, okay. Isn't there isn't there an app that will take care of all of this? <laughs> I yeah, thought you were writing it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, all right, Brad, we're going to wind this up here, Mississippi native, right? Can I ask one more quick question? Sure. Sorry to perpetuate, but do we, what, what, what do we think is going to happen with the federal research at University of Mississippi now with the laws changing in the state? I can tell you one thing that they're still kind of entrenched in the hemp program, but it's, to, in my mind, it's rapidly becoming archaic because there's more research being done in the private sector than there is actually, I think, probably at Oxford. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, Dr. Asoli's been chasing the 1% <laughs> cannabis is, the, is what the world needs for so long. And really just, I mean, he's, he's done a prolific amount of publishing. He's gotten a lot of uh, research associates. He's built a great program over there doing it. But the world doesn't want 1% THC cannabis. Well, also, the, the fact is, and I have met the gentleman, and he is delightfully interesting. But you know, for X amount of years, he knew who was doing his check. And he wasn't going to do anything to upset the powers that be. So that, that's my one big qualm about him. He didn't really pursue science as much as a social agenda that was set by the government. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Brad, we're gonna wind this up with a hopeful but uncertain future in medical marijuana in Mississippi. Um, how can people get a hold of you Time for shameless self-promotion, sir. Yeah, shameless self-promotion. <laughs> Brad Crafton, cannabis professional, fixer of all problems, and enjoyable person to talk to. Just email me directly, brad.crafton at gmail.com. Um, you know, I don't have a website, fancy presence. I don't like social media. It's just one more thing to check. 
you know, if you really want to talk to me, just, you know, just like you were writing me a letter in the old days, like type me a letter of what you want, not just like, hey, Brad, I need your help. I probably won't respond to that. Catch my interest. Write me a letter, you know, and but type it on the computer and email it to brad.crafton at gmail.com. Brad, I can't thank you enough. It seems like an uncertain future in Mississippi, but um, it's going to be interesting. All right, guys, anything to say before we skate this bad boy out? No, I'm good. Thanks for listening. Mr. Step, thank you. Abby, Ava, Brad, and until next time, this is Harold Jarba, the old hemp farmer, saying keep your one eye on the weather and another eye on the market. See you later, Jarbo. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee Homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Audio recordist, Abby McCullough. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com. 